in today's show. We're looking at the Brooklyn Nets. Their season, it was a weird one for many, many, many different reasons. What does this mean for them moving forward? What does it mean for the offseason? What does it mean for a lot of these players for fantasy basketball moving forward? Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's PrizePicks.com and the promo code is Locked On. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So we're going to talk Brooklyn Nets. Just a quick um, heads up as to what's coming next week. We're going to be having a Kings review, a Grizzlies review. I think the Cavs review next week. But we're also going to do our first NBA draft, mock draft, after the NBA lottery, which happens on the 17th, Tuesday. So we'll do a mock draft straight after that. And then we are going to begin our prospect evaluations with our draft experts starting next week as well. So we're going to be starting to blend from season review stuff because we are, after today, we'll be 18 teams deep. So we'll have 12 to go. We're going to push those through all through the playoffs as teams get eliminated. And then we're starting to transition into NBA draft, which ties into next season and ties ties into dynasty value as well. So that's sort of where we're heading with this. As you saw, we did the 2022 NBA draft redraft on Friday. So we're starting to move into that draft cycle. Let's talk Brooklyn Nets. Warney. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> all right. Um... Does it, I think the major question with this team is, does anything even matter? And I say that not to be a dickhead, but this team for half the season was completely different. Steve Nash coached this team. You remember that? Yeah. They had Kyrie Irving. They had Kevin Durant. They had Ben Simmons for whatever they, that's good or bad. I don't know. And then they didn't. And we saw them get smacked in the playoffs. We saw their record after the trade be below 500, yet still finish in the sixth seed. So these numbers, what do they mean? 45 and 37, that's great. Tells me nothing. Plus one net rating, 14th in offense, 15th in defense. That's all really solid, but I don't know that it means anything. Their best lineup this season was Dinwiddie, O'Neal, Bridges, Johnson, and Finney Smith. And that's basically what we saw with this team. That's the best lineup that had players that remain on this team is that we know that they just had millions of wings. Guards, not many of them. Centers, yes. But this lineup is the lineup that's just all wings. And while we can look at this team and go, well, 45 and 37, made the playoffs, didn't get in the play-in. The approach works. Mikhail Bridges was awesome. That's just not true, though. That's the problem with this team. Is the If you look at the overall numbers of the year, it looks solid. I mean, they'll run it back and they'll do it again. But they weren't. They weren't particularly good. And if they go through next season with the same lineup, they will not make the playoffs. Will they be good enough to... Make the play-in, maybe. Would they be bad enough to get a top pick? Probably not. These are all the concerns that I think we have with this team. And then, of course, you have the other concerns of future 
um, draft pick obligations. And like, do they have them? They've got the Suns ones. We know that. They've got their own in the Phoenixes this season. And then they don't have their own one in 2024. So uh, a lot of what we look at with this squad is you know, they, they, their pick goes to Houston next season. Um, and then the year after, it goes to Houston in a draft swap. So while we can look at this team and go, having this lineup or this roster keeps them sort of competitive, but they can't bottom out because they don't have their pick. They don't even have a swap pick with the Rockets. So none of that matters. Um, but where does this leave them? With the 12th best like odds for the lottery next season? I don't know. So they're in a weird spot. How Can they trade away pieces to get back draft picks? So if they are bad, that there is hope of a little more? It's a really hard position. So the obvious thing would be, hey, look, we're not going in with this team. Let's trade these guys. Let's get picks back. But if they trade them, end up as the second worst team in the NBA, they lose their pick anyway. And they might trade these players, Bridges, Finney Smith, whoever it is, to other squads. Cam Johnson, they won't trade him. To other squads and those other squads get better. So they end up with what? You know, the 21st pick in the draft out of it. Again, like they got with the Suns this season. That's the really hard part here is that they can't afford to be terrible this season, but they want to get more assets back because this team's not going anywhere. So... They're going to wizard it. They're going to be stuck in the middle, that terrible position of, we can't actually be good with what we've got. And it's a different thing because Washington just doesn't have an appetite to be bad. This team can't afford to be bad. And that's where you run into the problem. They can afford to be bad in 2025 because that's when um, the Rockets have that, they have the swap rights with the Rockets. So that's, you know, I guess maybe they couldn't afford to be bad because Houston might be good then in 2025 and Brooklyn might be bad and Houston just takes that pick. So yeah, those Rockets obligations end in 2028. So the Rockets pick goes in 2024, swap in 2025, goes in 2026, swap in 2027. It's impossible. That's a really, really tough spot for Sean Marks. Let's look at their free agency. They're already $10 million over the cap. They've got Seth Curry and Yuta Watanabe as free agents, unrestricted. They've got Cam Johnson and David Duke Jr. as restricted guys. What should I change? He's the one who sucks. Um, Seth Curry and Yuta Watanabe. I think Yuta showed enough. But when they brought in seven to 10 other blokes at the same size and position, exaggeration, clearly, Yuda was sort of pushed out of the rotation. He was the NBA's leading three-point shooter early in the season, which was obviously fake and was going to fall away, and it did. He's still an interesting rotation guy. Seth Curry, we'll talk about him later. He really suffered quite a significant drop-off this season, but he did enter the season injured. The big priority here is going to be Cam Johnson, who is going to get $20-plus million a year. And he needs to cash in. He's older. He's like 26, 27. Came into the league at 23. He's a really, really serviceable player who probably needs to be a fourth best offensive option for a good team. And that's just not probably going to be the case on this squad. Uh, other teams will have interest. The Nets will have no interest in moving on from him because, again, they sort of need to keep a solid floor of their pick. And Johnson provides that. So he will be back at like 480 plus is my guess. And... That might be a useful contract they trade a year after. I'm not sure, but he will be back. Duke, I think, shows enough, but you know, it doesn't change much. In the draft, they do have two picks, no lotteries. Pick 21 and pick 22. Pick 21 is Phoenix's pick. Pick 22 is their pick. According to my mock draft ADPs, which I do have to go through and update, uh, that would be Chris Murray, Keegan Murray's brother at 21, and Lennon Miller at 22. If I was drafting, and you'll see my draft next week, Leonard Miller's going to go a lot higher than this. I really like Leonard Miller, 6'10 forward from the G League Ignite, who probably should have been a first-round pick last year. He was hyper young, but he, he did go back to college. He's a, he's, I think he's a really interesting player, but they would get them. And then they've got pick 51 as well. Trey Alexander, who also 
is going to go higher than that in my mock drafts. A guy, I don't even, I've had a complete mind fart. Is he from, he's from Creighton, I'm pretty sure. He's a very interesting um, prospect. And if you can get him at that sort of a pick, pick 51, you'd be pretty happy. But of course, you know, so much stuff can, uh, can happen to change things with um, drafts and all that sort of stuff. I know that was a long-winded way of me saying I don't think he's going at 51. Question from Blin, who's on Twitter, at E-S-S-I-N-Z underscore. How do you expect their roster to change come next season? More guards, less forwards via trade. We always hear a lot of stuff about this Brooklyn Nets squad in terms of moves they're going to make. Are they interested in getting Damian Lillard? Well, I think they're interested in, in a trade that involves Damian Lillard somehow, and that trade would be trading with the team that Damian Lillard is on, but it doesn't, it doesn't um, involve Lillard moving teams. So I do think there will be some trades. I do think that they will, again, they can't afford to bottom out completely. But if you're going to cash in on Mikhail Bridges, which is the move that I think that Portland is going to be going hard at, and I don't know that Brooklyn does it, but Portland will be going at that move to get him for, you know, pick five in this draft, pick two. Like if the Blazers get pick two in this draft, which I think is a huge possibility, like obviously it's a possibility they're high. If the Blazers get pick two, I think the Nets would take pick two plus Simons plus another draft pick in the future for Bridges. I think they would consider that. Chuck Scoot on this team and, and you're there, like you started. You've kick-started things. So that's one to watch. There will have to be some sort of reckoning with the forwards. Johnson will be back, but will Finney Smith, will O'Neal be back? Yeah, Curry and Harris, where do they fit? Having switchable wings is really important. It's not as important for a team that doesn't have championship aspirations, but which the Nets don't at the moment. But yeah, what Blinn's saying here. So I, I do think that, you know, it's not necessarily less forwards, more guards, but cashing cashing in on some guys who have some value now. And you know, O'Neill, Finney Smith, they're 30 years old. Yeah, their value is going to drop soon. So I think cashing in on some of these players, Bridges and Finney Smith and O'Neill in particular, I think it's got to be the... I think it's got to be the decision that this team goes for. I think they've got to start to look at that. I think they've got to start to make that call. And yeah, it is it is a tricky needle to thread because you lose your pick. So you need to get picks back. But the longer you let the contract of Bridges run, he gets one year older. He gets you know, one year closer to unrestricted free agency, the less you get back in a deal. And I know that that Portland pick, if it's not number one, is going to be on the table. And Simons plus that pick, plus others, other stuff, it becomes something where I think you've got to start looking at it. I think. So I expect them to be very active in trying to do things with this squad. Very active. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. The $1 million daily Superflex promotion is on all the way through the NBA playoffs and finals. You got prize picks, which you know what prize picks is daily fantasy, player projections. You go in, you pick up to six of those individual stats, and you go, oh, more or less. That's it. Points. Will you score more? Sure. Will you score less? Sure. Put it in, right? Threes, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. But every day, one entry that's placed after 8 a.m. Eastern time will be randomly selected. And whoever placed that entry gets a six pick flex with the following payouts. You get all six right, go a million dollars. Just a tip don't pick six overs. Don't. It's just an unlikely to come through. Mix it up. Five correct picks, 80,000. Four correct picks, 16,000. The full, de- full full details can be found at pricepicks.com slash million. 
You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. And once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal and you could be the lucky winner. You don't have to do it for NBA. There's NHL. There's uh, baseball that's on. There is NASCAR. There's PGA. There's boxing. There's MMA. There's disc golf. There's so many different sports. So download the PricePix app or go to pricepix.com slash million to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. We've also got that 100% instant deposit match for first-time users up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PricePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PricePix will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. So let's talk about this team's best fantasy player, Nick Claxton. Was Nick Claxton was a guy that towards the end of the season, not true, sorry, towards the end of the preseason, Yahoo dropped his ranking way down. And he was a guy that would go, oh, wow, there is massive sleeper value in this guy. His ADP was 127. I think I had him around 198, maybe, expecting some pretty good stuff out of him. But I didn't expect this. He finished 41st in eight category leagues, 28th in total, 56th in points leagues. He smashed it. Absolutely smashed the numbers that you you couldn't have expected anything more than from this at all. If you did, you're lying. You, you couldn't have expected this. He was unbelievably impressive. And while we can look at this from a dynasty perspective, again, also be careful looking at his nine cat value or his twenty fourth. Again, you know I'm always going to preach caution with that because that meant that uh, turnovers were one of his best categories. He had three really strong categories, and that's it. Or I'm always going to be cautious of the three category strength players. Rebounds, blocks, and field goals. Now, he was awesome in blocks. He was one of the best defensive players in the NBA. He was awesome in field goals, but he's also negative across the board in other categories. And that always leads to some concern with overvaluation. He's only 24. He played 76 games and 30 minutes. Now, he was tracking 32, 33 minutes a game, basically, until the trade happened. And then they sort of just pulled back on the throttle. 17 usage, he averaged 13 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, 2.5 blocks. So again, we look at this, 70% shooting is great. Very hard to project 70% shooting. 68, 67, 66, sure. Does he have scope to do more than this usage-wise? I, I don't know. Passing-wise, I've got a little bit of hope in some of his passing. He is a guy that can bring the ball up. He can dribble. He can't shoot yet. His free throws are really bad. But he's got a little bit of extra juice. He's not Clint Capella as, a, um, as an offensive player. Capella can't dribble. Capella can't drive. He can't do any of those things. Claxton can. Whether he ever gets the chance to do it or not, I don't know. But I do think that at age 24, that those 30 minutes could turn to 31 or 32 really easily. The 17 usage might not change, but 14 points, 10 rebounds, two and a half assists. There's a little bit of extra growth there. But I worry that that field goal percentage is topped out. It's really hard to get higher than that, and it probably does drop off. His advanced stats are really strong. 53rd in the NBA in Darko. You can see how impressive he was in the Darko graph. His EPM was 92nd percentile. His estimated wins, 9.3. That's 92nd percentile. His LeBron was 93rd percentile. It was awesome. But the thing that's interesting is we go to this next graph, which you can see the fantasy points per minute, and you can see there is this distinct drop-off around the all-star break trade deadline where the minutes and the production starts to come down. It's not hugely down, but that's where he went from 31, 32, where Jacques Vaughan was citing fatigue as part of it. I think there was a little bit of other sort of gamesmanship involved in that, but he was citing yeah, fatigue, he's worn out. If he gets a full off-season where he's able to boost up that endurance, we get more minutes out of Claxton. So it's not crazy to think that he his rate stats, his rebounds, his blocks, and blocks maybe not. 
um, his rebounds, his points, his assists, his steals, they all go up by 10%. So he might play 10% more minutes next season. That is possible. My worry is field goals and blocks, the two big drivers in what he did, that that 2.5, even in 10% more minutes, might be 2.1. Look at the way Capella's blocks have dropped. Look at the way that Serge Barker's blocks dropped over his career. Hassan Whiteside's blocks dropped. It happens to all of them. And that field goal might go to 67. Still really good. But when your two best categories are sitting at this teetering precipice where at any point they could drop from unbelievable to very, very good, it does hurt your overall value, I believe. So I think Claxton's got a little bit more to do. I think he can handle the ball more. I think he can drive. I think he can dribble. I think he can pass a little bit. I don't think he can shoot. But I also worry there's going to be a level of over-evaluation or over-evaluation of what Claxo can do. His EPM, really, really solid. Thought he was, again, pretty... He's a, he's a very good player. Is he ever an all-star level player? I don't know about that. But another second-round success story. These guys always can step up. But in terms of overall skill set and fantasy skill set, while there's going to be fluctuations, he's a little bit topped out. We're never going to see threes. We're never going to see big assists. We're never going to see huge usage. He's a little topped out in what he's contribute, contributing in. The thing we look at now is minutes. I didn't show that APM graph when I should have, but there you go. You can see it now. So let's talk about let's talk about the big name on this team, and that is Macau Bridges, who is going to be a really, really interesting case for next season's fantasy draft and dynasty leagues. He is a player who has literally never missed an NBA game. In fact, he's played one more game than is available across his entire career. He played 83 this season in an 82-game season. He was 53rd, but again, when you go and look at nine category value, if you want to include turnovers, he is going to jump way up. You're going to look at his Yahoo rank and you see that he's ranked 12th for the season. You're going to look at his numbers post All-Star break and you're going to say that he was seventh in total value nine cat. And it is a complete misevaluation, I believe, of what Mikhail Bridges is as a player. He's 26, he'll be 27 you know, at, towards the start of next season. His points league was 61st. His ADP was 59. He had 83 games, 36 minutes, 25% shooting. And I know that people love to tell you, I'm drafting Bridges because he never gets hurt. And I am telling you that that is just not something that has any basis in sticking long-term. I don't care who you are. He is not Wolverine. You can tear your ACL at any point. You can break your finger at any point. You can sprain your ankle at any point. You can get a concussion from an elbow at any point. These can happen to anybody. Nobody is immune to this stuff. Now, he has been unbelievable. He has not missed a game. Of course, the last game of the season, he played 12 seconds to keep the bullshit streak going. Ridiculous, obviously. He plays big minutes. His endurance is fantastic. It's unbelievable. It's a great asset. But none of this stuff prevents an injury. None of it does. And when your value is tied so much to not missing games and tied so much into not turning the ball over, which again is just an absence of stats, you, you are going to get overvalued. And people are going to say, but look what he did, Josh, when he was in Brooklyn. I've got the numbers here. Without turnovers, he was 31st when he arrived in Brooklyn. 26 points, four rebounds, 2.7 assists, a steal, 0.6 blocks, 48 and 89 on really good volume. 30% usage. Awesome. We love that he was able to shoot unbelievable free throws on huge volume. That's something he didn't do in Phoenix. He hit 38% of his threes. He hit 48% from the field, but 
previous seasons for Bridges, he was shooting 56% from the field. Now, 47.5% from the field in Brooklyn on 30 usage is really good. It's also below average and a negative in fantasy. It's not a big negative, but on that volume, he was a negative 0.83Z score. That's, that's actually important because if he has a stretch where he shoots 46% because of that usage, and, and we saw it, we saw it happen multiple times where the value would go up and down in efficiency. The free throws, I totally believe in him getting to the line and him hitting free throws. I've got no problem. He's a good three-point shooter. He hit 38% in Brooklyn. He's really good at all this stuff. But all of his value is tied, well, not, not all, but that is incorrect. A lot of his value in terms of people saying, well, I'll take him on the turn at the first round. He's a definite second round guy. His turn is based on no turnovers and it's based on never missing games. And I just don't want to take him there. In the 40s, in the 30s, in the start of the third round, I don't really have a problem with it. But we also saw that when you are a team and Mikael Bridges, not Miles Bridges, Mikael Bridges is your number one player, you have no hope of being a good team. And I, 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 I love Mikael Bridges. He is not a number one. The Nets trading away Kevin Durant to bring back Mikael Bridges wasn't like, well, they just got the better player as some people erroneously were claiming that he just stepped into Kevin Durant's role. None of that is true. He was very, very good. He put up great scoring numbers on great usage and the team kept losing. He is a really strong player and he showed way more than I thought he could do as a primary guy. But overall, when we, especially when we're looking at it dynasty-wise or even into next season, how many years do you think Mikhail Bridges has to run as the number one offensive option? And I would put it, like if I put the over-under on that at one and a half seasons, I'd smash the under. I would smash it. And I really like him. Advanced stuff, he was pretty good, but Darko didn't love him. 0.6, that's 95th in the NBA. He was, he's actually, Darko production has dropped over the last couple of years. LeBron, 52nd percentile, not super strong. EPM and estimated wins loves him. Estimated wins especially is a volume stat, so a lot of games there help. He averaged 20 points a game for the year. He hit 38% from three. And I know it's a lot of time in Bridges because he's the most intriguing player in this team. But he is... Absolutely red flagging to me as being a guy that's going to be overdrafted. I, I cannot wait to see where where he ends up in like Yahoo preseason ranks. Do they drop him in at like 14? I, I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't be surprised like if they dropped him in that early. And I, I think that just ends up being a gigantic mistake. I'm just looking. I know ESPN's got some stupid early rankings out. Yeah, that's for points. I've got Mikael Bridges at 55. And that's totally fine. Oh, here we go. There is, we've got a, they do have a category league ranking out. Let's see. Who do they have in this top 25? Where do they have Bridges? You know, I'm very critical of ESPN. I've got him at 22. But yeah, their, their blurb says, it may seem too early for him, but this is the most durable player in the league. Shout out to Carl Anthony Towns. Remember, can't stop injuries. Can't. It's impossible. And I know it makes me feel like I'm a hater of Mikhail Bridges, but I just try to provide what I feel is a realistic expectation for him in the coming seasons. That I don't think he sticks at 30 usage for two years. It might be one year. He might literally not even be on this team next season. That I still think that's a possibility. He's very, very good. He's an excellent defender. He's a great offensive piece. He showed way more things in his game than I thought he would. And I still have some doubts. 
You can see where after he's traded here, the big spikes in the blue line on his fantasy points. They put the ball in his hands a lot. He delivered. He's also had some very wonky efficiency ups and downs, and that's to be expected. He can still get better. He is only 26, but he is 26. He's not 22. He's not 23. His EPM graph was really strong. That little dip there in the EPM was when I think Booker and Paul were out and he was tasked with a larger role and he didn't really bring it in huge, huge um, swathes. He was all right, but he had some problems. And overall, his efficiency this season was well down on where it has been in the past. Usage up, efficiency down, it's a common thing. So I know that people are going to disagree with me on Bridges and there are definitely going to be people watching this, listening to this, who are going to take him round two. There are some who are going to believe that he's a round one player and all I'll say is if that person exists in your dynasty league, then you trade Bridges to that player or to that to that manager. I just do not believe in it as him as that level of player, as a really strong top 35 guy, as a really strong top 50 player if he's traded, absolutely. I just don't see this current iteration, Bridges' number one player, sustaining. I don't. Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie's 30 now. Um, he ranked 86 this season. 52nd in totals, 69th in points leagues, ADP of 121, huge W. We knew that there'd be a little bit extra for Dinwiddie in Dallas, and he was pretty good. He was got a little bit more value going in Brooklyn, but I think one thing we didn't expect from him is to play, not only, that's 79 games, but 35 minutes a game at 24 usage, average 17, three and a half, and six and a half. He's never a defensive guy, but one thing that Dinwiddie used to be is not a good free th- uh, three-point volume guy, and he hit 2.3 of them at 37%, so that's really, really good. His advanced stats are all pretty strong. His LeBron and Darko is actually better than Bridges's, interestingly enough. He's just a solid, positive contributor. Now, as I said, if they, if the Blazers get picked two and trade that to the Nets for Bridges and Scoot comes in, well, I really worry for where Dinwiddie fits from here. He's age 30. He's totally solid as a point guard for probably another couple of years and probably a guy that, you know, 86th in category leagues, if this team does come back intact, I'd, I'd take him before that. You get some scoring, you get some assists, you get some threes, you get some good free throws sometimes. He's a solid enough player that, you know, I, I don't, you know, obviously, and well hated by the Washington Wizards. Um, we'll see where his career is able to go from there. But we are in a very much a precipice with him. And I don't think that he's a guy that they would be looking to deal in terms of dealing players away this offseason unless certain things happen. I don't think he's that player. Uh, I reckon he's probably got one or two more years, maybe one more year as a top 100 guy, maybe two more years. And relatively similar type numbers versus what we saw this season. Him after the trade, 17 points in 35 minutes with nine assists. That's what increased for him. Moving away from Doncic, bumped his assists way up. He hit 80% from the um, field uh, from the line, 40 from the field as more responsibility came his way. And he shot 29% from three, which will definitely improve. So the numbers he put up post-trade where he was 88th, big assist numbers, good minutes, but the field goals dropped way off. I think that can improve because I don't think 29% from three is a real number for him. So there is still hope for him to be, I think he's probably going to be around eight, round seven draftable player for at least one more year. You can see the trade there. There's a lot to look at on the EPM graph. You can see that trade. Like he had, he was already starting to boost back up in Dallas and then Brooklyn put up some good numbers. I think he's just solid enough. Solid enough. Let's talk Cameron Johnson. The 95th ranked player this season, 
only 190th in totals because he played just 42 games. He's 27 already, restricted free agent, 117th in points leagues. He had some opportunities early in the season with Phoenix, hurt his knee. He was the anointed the starter over Jay Crowder, had some weird, weird sort of games early on. Um, we're starting to find his feet um, coming off with that knee problem as well um, and then got hurt, came back from the knee injury, never really got it together and started to put together good numbers in Brooklyn. I feel... That, you know, he's 42 games, he's 29 minutes, he's 23 usage, 15 points, 40% from three. I look at all of those stats and go, oh yeah, why not? Why can't he do this? The one thing I look at is that he was able to play 31 minutes a game in Brooklyn versus 29 for the season. That gave him 16 points, 1.4 steals, shot 37% from three. All right. I don't actually think there's a huge exciting story to tell here with Cam. Can he be better than 95 next season? I'd probably bank on it. I think he's going to play 31 a night, 32 a night. I think he's going to have that same usage. I think he can average 18 points a game. He's actually a really interesting corollary. Corollary? Probably. Corollary to Trey Murphy. That Trey Murphy, while significantly younger, can just easily become Cam Johnson or they can sort of equal each other as similar type players. Like, I, I worry that Trey doesn't have a huge upside. I think Johnson's a similar upside, but they can both get to a same level. Like, if they both average 19 points, three threes, five rebounds, 1.4 steals this season, I wouldn't be shocked with that at all. They're very, very similar players in that regard. Trey's got more ability to do stuff putting the ball on the ground, but I think they're fairly similar players. The advanced stuff, really love Cam. Plus 3.9 APM, that's 94th percentile. Darko's got him 68. You can see the improvements he made. Defensively, he's all right. He's an okay rebounder. He can't pass. He can't really create for others. He can't really create his own shot. But he's a, a dynamic sh- uh, shooter. He's a good scorer. And there's more in him than this 15 points. There's more. He, I will feel really confident in saying Cam Johnson's going to score more than 15 points per game next season. So these numbers are going to rise up and they'll probably rise up and stay up for two to three more years. While he is old, he's only 27. So when I say he's old, he's old as a restricted free agent. He's still got three years at this level of production minimum, but players in his situation would normally have eight years at this level minimum to go. That's the difference. Had the knee injury in the middle of the season, missed a ton of time. You can see the blue line start to increase there towards the end when he was in Brooklyn. Not a surprise. Could be in a better situation in Brooklyn this season. What if they do trade Bridges and give him more opportunities? And fingers crossed, he's coming into the year fully healthy. You can see all those games missed there on his EPM graph. He was a really, really positive player, a really solid player. And that will transition into us talking about someone that was perhaps the opposite of that. And that is Ben Simmons. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. He finished 113th in category leagues. Weirdly enough, lower in points leagues at 121. He was drafted at 75. And you know what? I was fully on board with that. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, he might not score 15 or 17 points a game that he did in Philadelphia, but he should start. He should play 30 minutes. He should average 13, 7, and 7 with 1.5 steals. High field goals. Why wouldn't he? Well, I, I don't know. Do I know the answer why he wouldn't? No. I know that he didn't. He averaged 6, 6, and 6. It's actually 7 points, 6.9, but 6, 6, and 6 with 1.3 steals. He still shot. I say shot loosely. He had a field goal percentage of 57%, but 44 from the line. He played 42 games. He played 26 minutes. And honestly, he was just relegated to being a backup center. And the back injury, the knee injury, we can talk and debate the merits of, are they real injuries? Is he actually hurt? The realistic part of it is, is that I don't know and you don't know. 
None of us know. So I'm not going to come out here and say that the bloke's faking it, that he doesn't care. There's a lot of things that suggest maybe his heart's not in as much as it has been in the past and that he is absolutely racked with mental health issues, for sure. I don't think there's any problem in... Like, he's clearly said that, right? That he's got a lot of... He had a lot of mental health issues, right? And people claim that's bullshit. I think watching him play... If you watch him play and you hear him say, yeah, you know what? I've got a lot of mental health and anxiety issues. Uh, that tracks like one-to-one. Like it's a really easy, easy thing to see that his mental health is, is in trouble and it's impacting his play. And therefore, I, I just don't have any faith that he's going to be able to be back to the player he was. In fact, I'd say it's almost definitely not going to happen. But the fact that he averaged seven points per game and still was a top 120 fantasy player means that get 10 points a game and you're in the top 100. It's not that hard to do. Now, would I ever draft him in the top 100? Absolutely not. Not a chance in hell. I don't trust his health. I don't trust his aggression. I don't trust his usage. I don't even trust him getting 26 minutes a night next season if he's going to play exclusively as a backup center. But last round flyer type, sure. Let's see what happens. It's not all disappeared. His advanced stuff is not horrible. 75th percentile EPM, 122nd in Darko. It's obviously a way off from where it used to be. But he wasn't 100% dreadful. The problem is, is that the minutes all trended down. You can see on this graph, the red lines, the missed games, the red line trends down, the blue line trends down. He transitioned into a backup. And I, I think I think he's going to go into the next season as a backup again. And that obviously hurts the overall production. So there is no chance in hell that I'm viewing him as a top 100 dynasty asset, probably not even top 150. I'm not drafting him as a top 100 player next season. I had some faith in Simmons to bounce back to be, let's say 80% of what he was in Philadelphia. That faith is gone. I'm not ruling it out that he could do it, but I'm pretty close to doing that. You can see that he's missed all that time towards the end of the season with a back injury. There's a lot of stuff going on for this guy. To a degree, you feel sort of sorry for him, but he also sometimes makes it hard to feel um, completely compassionate with the way that he acts at times, which is frustrating, obviously. But hopefully he gets healthy and we see an improvement. So that's why I'm not writing him out of, of writing him off of being like a last, last round pick in standard leagues. Let's go to the Basmati man. Royce O'Neal, because last season was very, very strange from O'Neal. He put together a huge run at the start of the year. They put the ball in his hands a lot for reasons I don't really understand. There's a team that had Kyrie and Simmons and Durant. And they said, all right, Royce, you run things. And you sure about this, Stephen Nash? You sure about this, Mr. Vaughan? But they did it. And he was putting up like top 70 numbers on a bunch of stuff which had no basis in reality based on anything in his career. And I was very, very adamant of this is just not going to be able to stick. And it didn't. 145th per game, 155th in points leagues, 30 years of age, 32 minutes, 15 usage. He was also playing like 35 minutes a night early in the year, but by the end of the year, he was benched. He averaged nine points with two threes, four assists with 0.8 steals and 0.6 blocks, shot 39 from three, and somehow less from the field overall, 38.6, meaning his two-point percentage was significantly lower than his three-point percentage, which is wild. He's been a high field goal percentage guy or a high two-point percentage guy in the past. His EPM was a negative. His Darko was 245th. So despite his LeBron 22nd percentile compared to starters, all that is really bad. He dropped off considerably. He's 30 years of age. He had a hot streak early in the season. But in the end, there's nothing you look at on that stat line and go, well, I'm pretty excited about what Royce O'Neal is going to do next season with Johnson and Bridges and all these other Finney Smiths around. He just isn't that guy. So there is no chance that I look at him as a standard league player There's no chance I look at Royce O'Neal as a dynasty asset. I think that that early season production from him 
was probably the best you're going to get. And it was based on a bunch of stuff which doesn't make any sense with the uh, trajectory of his career. And it was a little bit fool's goldy. And I don't, yeah, I don't really think that he's a starter anymore. His EPM graph is all right, like lots of ups and downs, but nothing particularly interesting for us to look at. And that brings us to another wing, another switchy wing who used to be a good shooter, but isn't anymore, Darren Finney-Smith. He struggled with a groin injury early in the season. He couldn't hit his threes. He went to Brooklyn. He couldn't hit his threes. He ranked 198th in categories. He was amazingly drafted at 129 with a 91% uh, draft rate. There's just no upside in him. And again, another one of those players that when you look at ranks, you go, ah, Darren Finney-Smith was actually 80th the year before that because he played like all the games and you know turned it over 0.1 times per game. But overall, like eight points, 1.7 threes, 0.8 steals, 34% from three. It's just nothing. A guy that had a little stretch between age 26 to 29, being a useful player, a good shooter. But these sub-elite players, these undrafted guys, the drop-off can come and can hit hard. He's in a bad situation, obviously, with a bunch of these other wings who are better than him. But he's never going to be a usage player. He's never going to pass. He's never going to be a big defensive stats player. And if the shooting is gone, he's not an elite shooter at all. He's had some 39, 40% seasons. But if the shooting is gone, then there's nothing here. Negative in EPM, still 70th percentile, but 140th in Darko. You can see the drop-off starting to come after really some strong years in Dallas. I just, all of these guys, they're all relatively interchangeable. He's not going to be a big minutes player. In fact, when he joined Brooklyn, he averaged under 28 minutes a night. And when that trade happened, O'Neal went down to 27 minutes a night as well. They all just eat into each other's production. So there's just not any upside in these sort of low usage wings. They're all crowded. Somebody I think will be on a new team next season and I'll have no interest in drafting them in that situation either. You can see Finney Smith missed that bunch of time in the middle with that groin injury. But even before in Dallas, look how high that red line is above the blue. That's minutes over points. He just did nothing. And it, Closed a little bit when he was in Brooklyn, but the inconsistency was crazy. And I just think he might be done as a regular starting level player. His EPM was okay. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was all right. But I think a lot of the things are done with him. Speaking of done, Seth Curry. He's 33 in a few months. He ended the season 257th on category leagues per game. He was drafted at 139. Now, that never made a ton of sense to me because a lot of what he was able to do last season was A, in Philadelphia, and B, on a Brooklyn team with guys out. Um, he played 20 minutes a night, 21 usage, missed the start of the season with an ankle problem, which he suffered the year before, and never really looked right. Nine points. The interesting thing about him, and we'll talk about him in a second, Joe Harris, is they shot well. 41, 41% from three, 93 from the line. But everything else was bad. 1.6 assists, never rebounded it, no defensive stats, got cooked defensively. And while Seth has had a career of being an excellent shooter and a starting caliber player, at age 33, an undersized guy who cannot defend, cannot really create his own shot in big volume, you think that there's just no reason for him to be brought back to this team. Could he find himself on a role or on another team signed in free agency? Probably. I wouldn't expect him to be necessarily an every night rotation player. His EPM, was his estimated wins were negative. 12th percentile, that's horrible. 317th in Darko. Look at the size of that decline. It happens. You're 33. This happens. So Seth Curry has the little runs, has some strong production, has some good shooting, has some good fantasy moments. I, I don't think they're coming back, it, no matter where he signs. 
The graph there doesn't tell us a huge amount with his fantasy points. His EPM was, you know, okay. But defensively, he just can't do it anymore. He's too small. The injuries have mounted up. And the same goes for Smoke and Joe Harris. He was drafted at 141 as well. That didn't make a lot of sense. He's 32 at the start of the season. 288th in category leagues. 305th in points leagues. He played 21 minutes, 16 usage, 7 points. He hit two threes at 43%. He still does that. He can still hit threes. But as we have seen with his teammate Seth Curry, as we have seen with Duncan Robinson, these guys who are elite three-point shooters, at some point, they'll have a little run, and at some point, other teams will go, huh, nah, we're just going to cook you off the court. You're not going to be out there. And having that one skill, translating that well, is really hard to maintain unless you start to do something else. And Harris, who has been okay defensively in the past, has dropped away. And again, he's 32. Multiple ankle injuries really have hurt him. He still can shoot very clearly. But this 21 minutes a night that he played, I don't think that's going to stick moving forward. Like he'd been a 30-plus guy, a starter for many, many years. And then after the trade happened, he played 14 minutes a night. And Curry played 14 minutes a night. They just didn't play. So these numbers here are actually inflating their numbers. They're inflating their production. Still a good shooter, but he's just not someone who's going to see a large enough role for us for it to matter, really. And he's sort of just clogging up space. And you can see that after that trade happened on that fantasy points graph, that it's all a downward spiral. Now, his EPM was able to solidify after the, tr- after the trade and be okay, but you just can't really play him big, big time. Now, it took us 41 minutes because I go down the fantasy ranks in terms of players when I'm doing these season previews. It took us 41 minutes to talk about Cameron Thomas, who was a really interesting player. And I'm going to I want to talk briefly about Cameron Thomas here because obviously, there's a couple of things to look at here. We can look at his numbers, 308th in category leagues per game, 275th in points leagues. He's still not 22. He will be, I think, December, January. 17 minutes a night an unbelievable 30% usage. And I think therein lies some of the problem. He averaged 11 points in 17 minutes. That's honestly awesome. He averaged three a game in 17 minutes. That's not bad. He shot 38%. He got 87 from the line. That's all okay. The advanced stats, seventh percentile LeBron. Yeah, pretty gross. 47th in EPM. That's not terrible. 291st in Darko. Not bad. But what we'll always remember about Cam Thomas is scoring 40 points three games in a row. And just, I want to bring this up not to talk about myself necessarily, but I think it's important is that when these trades went down, I was was not on board with Cam Thomas. I ended up being wrong on that because if you added, let me rephrase that. I was like, I don't really see this for Thomas. I don't think this is any sort of long-term pickup. And it made me reassess a lot of the ways that I try and approach stuff. Whereas I tend to have a little bit more of a longer term view. Whereas, because my idea with streaming and all that sort of stuff is do whatever. It doesn't matter unless you're dropping someone of good value. Like add someone now, sure. But my view tends to be skewed. I am probably going to go a little long on this because I think there's a lot to take out of it. My view tends to be skewed a lot towards, huh, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at season long projections. I don't see it. I don't see Thomas being this guy as we move forward. I don't see any of this stuff in him as a player, in him as his role, in him as his fantasy skill set. But clearly, if you added him, you got three 40-point games in a row. He was like a top five fantasy player for that week. It was unbelievable. And my thing was, I don't think you should add him. And that 
made me look stupid. And there were many, many people who made it a point to tell me that I look stupid. And that is totally okay. No problem with that at all. And I admit that I should have, you know, my call should have been, yeah, add him here while everyone's being traded and roll, roll with it. But what, what I think it brings to the surface is, is that then that happened. And I said, this is the biggest sell high in the history of the world. And people sold high on this guy for Brad Beal. I saw him traded for Paul George. I saw him traded for insane deals, right? Crazy deals. Absolute nonsense. And I said he was sell high. And then the, when I put that out there, that got a lot of traction and a lot of people responded back. Just admit you're wrong. You're doubling down. Take the L. You've been proven incorrect, right? And it got to, it get to me a little bit, yeah. But I think it's not about, I'm, I don't have sorry, sorry for mounting. I don't care, you know? Am I, was I right? Yes, I was. But that's not even the point here either. The point is, is that you can't make definitive sweeping statements about something being correct or being wrong uh, after three games. There's so much stuff to play out. Context is really important. We've got multiple examples from this season. Bol Bol. Well, Bol, he's amazing. He's going to keep doing this. Yeah, but there were seven rotation players out. So that context is important. Cam Thomas, 40 points in a game. Yeah, they lost all those games. He was doing it on unsustainable shooting and usage. And they had five players coming in in a trade, which they all did. And they all kicked him out of the rotation because he doesn't defend, he doesn't pass. It's all about him getting numbers, right? So sometimes I'm going to be wrong on these things plenty of times, or a lot, everyone will be. But I think context around how things are happening, why they're happening versus, well, they happen like this, therefore that is what will continue to happen is a really key part of fantasy. And while there are plenty of people, when I said Sal High and Cam Thomas that said, you can't do that, bro. No one will accept that trade. These leagues will never do that. He's only had three good games. And I agree with that. Like, because if someone was trying to sell me high on Cam Thomas, I'd say, get out of here. What you, there's no way that I believe in this. And a lot of people are like this. But the fact that half of the people numbers made up for entertainment purposes. I don't know if it was half. There was a lot of people doing this or people you know, dropping my name in subreddits. Josh doesn't know what he's talking about. It's the worst mistake he's ever made telling us about Cam Thomas. He's going to definitely keep doing this. Um, but making statements on something happening or the fact that, that people were buying into this just shows you how we have to be really cautious about looking into context behind why things are happening how they will happen and the way that it all comes together. And it's not, again, it's not for me to say that I was right because I was wrong in the interim to say, I'm not interested in picking up Cam Thomas because you missed three 40-point games, which were great. But in the long run, my evaluation of it was correct. And you can't make those, like, I will very much say, you can't definitively say one thing is wrong or right. And I'll give guys time. You can't say something's right after a week after five days. And it's not about not admitting that I'm wrong. It's not about taking the L. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about, I understand the ebbs and flows of an NBA season. And I think that's a great lesson to learn. We had two really big ones with Cam Thomas and with Bol Bol this season. And I think there was probably another one in there as well. But two excellent um, examples of production being mirrored up against context and how important that can be. Now, in saying all of that, 
Thomas is still only 21. If he doesn't change his game, he's never going to be a successful NBA player. The man can score. There is no concern about that. He did it in LSU. His first year as a freshman, well, he only played one year as a freshman. He scored at will. Still didn't be a top 20 draft pick because he's selfish as an offensive player. He doesn't defend at all. He has some issues with his shooting. He can get to the line really well, but it basically devolves into a James Harden sort of situation where everyone's standing around, except this guy can't pass. And that doesn't lead to conducive offense or cohesive offense. And defensively, he was really bad. So he needs to do things differently. And one year at LSU, two years in the NBA, I'm not sure that he can. I'm not sure. But it's a roundabout way of me saying, despite me being anti-Cam Thomas last season, but I don't even view it as anti. I, I think it is realistic on Cam Thomas last season. I, th- I think there is a chance here. Seth Curry should be gone. Joe Harris, I don't know what the point of him is. But Thomas needs to change. He needs to change his game. You can see on this graph, look at that big performance there in the middle and then just nothing out of the rotation. He will score. And in the last game of the year, you can see that blue dot right at the top. Back in, everyone out, big numbers. But we're not playing one-on-one at the park. That That's not what the NBA is about. So he needs to change some things, but I do expect that that's 17 minutes a game and only 57 games. I think there's a significant chance that it improves next season, but... Let's say they make that trade and, and Scoot comes in at pick two and Simons comes in. Well, you're never playing him over those guys. So I still don't believe that his dynasty value is super high. He is really young still. I'm not giving up on him at all. But stuff needs to change with his game to actually get a solid enough role. Because he's a six-guy-out all-star but can't find a rotation spot most nights otherwise. And that, in the end is really the key crux of Cameron Thomas as an NBA player. Can score. Great. Love it. One of the best scorers in the NBA. No question about it. And I think his role and his production will actually be better next season. Will it be draftable? Yeah. Look, I would draft him in the last round of a draft. A lot of stuff to happen, of course, with this next roster. I would be okay drafting him there. Not a problem. But I don't think future superstar is here. You can see that really big spike in the middle there. That was that production with those guys are out and then it dropped way off. It's again, not a surprise. I went a, lot, a, long, uh, a long time there on Thomas because I think it was important because it was one of the things that I was criticized the most for this season. And my short term, I'm not interested in picking him up, was wrong. It was very clearly wrong. And I think it's, it is a teaching lesson, lesson for me, but also in terms of the, you know, well, you know, you can't just double down on this stuff, just take the L, accept you're wrong, move on when, you know, there is process behind a lot of what we do. And I think our process in fantasy is one of the more important things versus results. Results are important to get the win, but in the in the long term, I believe process wins out. And I, if you are still listening to this, thank God, because that was me talking for a very long time. I apologize. Let's talk Dayron Sharp, a guy that's a very interesting player. 312th in per game value. That's nothing great. He's 21 as well. He was a first-round pick two years ago, same as Thomas. 48 games, 12 minutes, 21 usage, which is a little high. He's an excellent rebounder. Four rebounds in 11 minutes, he's very, very strong. 0.7 blocks in 12 minutes, he's very, very strong. 11 minutes, really strong. 54% shooting, also hit somehow 55% from three. I don't buy that for a second. Um, Advanced numbers, nothing particularly super strong there. Negative and estimated wins. Started to improve, but, you know, 
I think they probably will go back to Ben Simmons as a backup center next season. But I think Dayron Sharp can have a two to three year window of being a backup center, of being a 19 minute a night backup center who is on the fringes of 12 team value and will spike up and definitely be added, addable. Addable? That sounds weird. Uh, able to be added in leagues for stretches. I'm not out on him completely. I'm not in on him completely. I think there's enough there where there can be development where he can turn into Daniel Gafford. He can turn into Rashawn Holmes. Guys that have little bits of stretches of play. Like, wouldn't be shocked if, you know, I keep talking Portland, Brooklyn. They talk trades a lot, these teams. That if this ends up happening and he goes to Portland, he's their backup center and Nurkic gets hurt and he puts up big numbers. I wouldn't be shocked in that at all. So I'm a little dynasty buy on him. You know, I think that if it does ever come true, it might be a one to two year thing. But I'm a little bit interested in what Dayron can do. Showed some improvement towards the end of the season. I thought, again, he had some moments in the playoffs where he was okay. Thought he was okay. Just a little something to go, ah, I'll pay a little bit of attention here. And that are the guys, that, well, they're the guys we're going to talk about. I don't need to talk about Paddy Mills. I think Paddy Mills, unfortunately, is an Aussie legend. He's 35. I think he might be done. Um, Drew Smith, Yuta Watanabe, who shot the ball really well and then didn't. Where did Watanabe shoot? Like 35% after the trade. Edmund Sumner, he's an interesting player, but he's also 27 as well. A little bit older, but I like him as a backup player. But these aren't guys that are going to have um, big production level, I don't think, moving forward. And that is the end of the show. Again, apologize for that long stretch on Cam Thomas. It's not just about Cam Thomas. It's about just the way that we uh, approach and assess things, I think. I think it's important. Now, you might tell me, honestly, you might tell me, Josh, that was ridiculous. You didn't need to talk about Cam, and and I accept that. But I I do think it was a pretty important takeaway lesson from this season. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're on YouTube, you thumb it up, you leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.